Welcome to the latest episode of The Grower and The Economist. I'm Michelle Klieger, The Economist. And I'm Peter Kanjoyan, The Grower. Each week, we team up to tackle the biggest challenges facing small and medium-sized growers. We're one part grower and one part economist, just like your business. You've been working, some of your research has, has focused on the Colorado River Basin for a number of years. And I've shared my love of that river and the mountains. So I'm now at the point where I've written, uh, read several books about that river and the basin and how we're using the water. And one of the things that I'd like to ask you is, now there's all kinds of things, hours and hours to talk about this, where we have irrigated the desert and we have in Southern California, the Imperial Valley, and we have in the Yuma, Arizona area, we have these places where, what is it, Michelle, what percentage of our fresh greens during the winter originate or are grown in those two locations? It's high, right? Yeah. I mean, I think we could probably say 80-20 and be okay. Yeah. And 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 now what what we're learning, what I've been reading about, and, and I'm I'm looking for some of your perspective outside of the the podcast. We're just having fun, I think, together, sharing notes and and learning from one another. Um, so a question I have uh, is: Okay, had we not decided to reclaim the desert? and take water and irrigate it to produce or to uh, create these two production pockets that are supplying all of the rest of us with lettuce for, for the winter, celery and whatnot. Where would that food be coming from? Where, where would we, or would we be going with less lettuce that's more expensive through the winter? I mean, that's my guess. My guess is that it we would not have the I mean it's not just it's not just Imperial Valley it's also our ability to transport things which has a huge impact um you know we we import more fruits and vegetables by and large than we produce and export now domestically for the first time and ever and so I think it's being able to take advantage of climate in some places as well as the ease of transportation and storage but my guess would be we would not be eating as much fresh produce in the winter. We would have you know, much more seasonal diets like in the past and that the crops we did eat would be more expensive. So I think both of those would happen. And that's sort of the trade-off is that you get some of these advantages. So does that answer your question? I think you sort of ended up in the right point that there would be less winter produce and it would be more expensive. Yeah, and, and it relates back to a common theme over these years of you and I producing the podcast together. Haven't we, in a recurring sense, um, I keep asking, all right, if how much of industrial agriculture can we shift back to the local, you know, the, the, the family farm or the uh, pop growing at population centers? So we come back to CEA as being that opportunity. And CEA, the most profitable crops are the quickest, which are the leafy greens. So for me, there are puzzle pieces that are perhaps not quite put together yet, but the pieces are in hand. 
Are you seeing it that way? I am. And I have had a similar struggle. I mean, a lot of the work I did before this was international trade. And I think that international trade is really important in feeding people that we're just good at growing things in some regions over uh, better at growing things in some region over others. And why don't we exploit that advantage and produce where we can and trade it. And then more recently, especially during and post pandemic, a lot more focus on regional food systems and how you need that regional and local production and you, how you need that capacity and the challenges to recreating that capacity now in both in infrastructure and human intellect capacity. Um, and I guess I often struggle with, am I, can I pick both? Like, can I do both of those things? Am I selling out to the international trade? And I honestly think that you need both, right? There's going to be a lot of things that are mass produced and traded. And that's really important in feeding people. And there's also an importance in having some local capacity. If there is a natural disaster or a not natural disaster or something happens, like having the knowledge and ability to produce some food, to mill some food, to process some animals, like those are all important. And so I think from one of our very first episodes, it was something like 3% is local and how could we get higher? I think that if we got to 10 or 20%, like it would have a big impact on our local food system. It would have an impact on the global one, but you could hopefully have the best of both systems in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, you know, being early January and the season of resolutions and New Year's and optimism, I several years ago did spent the summer reading some of Albert Einstein's writings. And one of his overriding themes was so that we don't annihilate one another with this nuclear capacity. Um, his vision was that the globe would be a little more of a global community. And it's a little too much for most people to grasp, Michelle. But when I squint my eyes now, having read things and watching climate changing, I squint my eyes and I can see a day. It might be a century or two or X next generations from now where today's international boundaries become state boundaries and today's state boundaries become county boundaries where we've all figured out as a planet how we need to work together. So, you know, some people will you just just cannot accept it, can't see it, can't imagine it. But when I squint my eyes, um, I can. And, you know, for everybody to get along and manage the planet. And, and, and so in that case, some of your experience with international trade then becomes national trade. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Grower and the Economist. If you enjoyed the episode, please rate it wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us get discovered by new listeners. If you have questions, concerns, or would like to suggest a podcast topic, please email me at michelle at I love hearing from you. Until next time.